0: Welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. My name's Wendy, and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. Hello, good afternoon, HMOers. It's great to be with you again on uh, Wendy Weekly uh, today. I have got the lovely Kirsty Darkins with me. Hey. Hello, <laughs> great to have you on today, Kirsty. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I am really, really pleased that you have uh, got the time to spend with us today mm-hmm. Kirsty, because, you know, when it comes to commercial property, I, it's a little bit scary and, uh, you know, you're an expert in commercial property and you're also very nice and friendly, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, so it doesn't make it quite so scary. Um, so for people on the group who perhaps don't know who you are and what you do, would you like to just give, give us a brief introduction?
1: Yes, so um, I have been practicing as a commercial property surveyor for over 20 years now and investing in property myself for the last four. So I left corporate four years ago, set up on my own, um, and now I am building my own commercial property portfolio. I'm mentoring other private investors um, so they can learn how to build a commercial portfolio as well. Uh, I run a network meeting in Birmingham, um, which is really good, really good community there. Um, And kind of I met Wendy through all all the networking that we do and we go to a lot of the same things. Um, I'm by no means a HMO expert, but I do know about commercial and how we might put the two together so that's how we can Um, use each other's skill sets I think
0: yeah fantastic and I think when whenever I've seen you speak Kirsty it's always made me feel really inspired motivated to go out and do more Mm -hmm. motivated to learn more about commercial and how I can develop and uh, you know we've got a little bit of experience in commercial property but nowhere near your breadth of experience and uh -hmm. I think, I think that in the next, you know, year or so, uh, COVID-19 is, is one of those factors that I think we just have to, we're going to have to learn to live with, you know, until we have a vaccine, we have to adapt, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, I thought, well, commercial property is maybe one of those types of property that uh, as, as HMO investors, we tend to lean towards residential. You know, we tend to buy residential, develop residential, repurpose residential, because that's what seems the most easy, natural step up from maybe single buy to let's. Um, But I think you're probably going to bust some of those myths and maybe explain why you think commercial could be a great opportunity. So can you just give me a bit of an overview of your thoughts at the moment? What's happening in the commercial market? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities?
1: So everyone's aware of the challenges in retail. Um, Although I do have to say that uh, it's not like we haven't been here before. And, um, you know, so you've had the collapse of Into, one of the biggest shopping centre owners in the UK, into administration, but that's been coming for a long time. Um, And what's happened with retail, in particular shopping centres, is they've been overvalued for a really long time. And all we're seeing is the correction that's been coming um, for a while. Retail will shrink. It has to shrink. And what COVID has done is accelerate that process. So there were lots and lots of businesses, particularly in the hospitality sector, um, who weren't performing very well before this happened. Um, And and so it's just accelerated what was already happening. So retail is probably going to shrink over the next few years by 20 to 30%. That's what needs to happen. Um, But what will happen, um, I think, is that because we're all working from home more and we're probably gonna move towards less everybody working in town, big city offices and more people working from home, maybe companies having some suburban offices. Um, What that means is that if people are working at home, they need the services and the convenience around them rather than in just in the towns. So I think there will be opportunities um, in suburban locations for retail, to thrive in small centres, I'll still be investing in retail, you just got to know what you're doing. Offices is very interesting, I mean it's too early to tell yet but I think a lot of companies will be looking at the space that they own or lease and trying Mm. to decide what the right size of space is. Now nothing immediate is going to happen because when people want to go back to the office they're going to have to, they're going to need twice as much space so they can do social distancing. In the office so people aren't going to be getting rid of space immediately you know there's going to be no fire sale of office that kind of thing but i think gradually over the next few years there will be some thoughts about actually long term what does it look like and the leasing structure for offices might change to be a lot more flexible and um, industrial is just uh, demanded, still going through the roof so all the e-commerce businesses that have thrived throughout covid um all require logistics and warehousing space Um, lots of retailers going online or increasing their online offers so that's only ever going one way yeah Uh, so we you know the supply and demand in industrial um, supply is not there demand is there so industrial is a good sector to get into but in commercial overall it's all about landlord and tenant relationships just like it is in residential so a lot of the bigger companies haven't been paying their rent. That's put massive pressure on landlords, some of whom can't meet um, their liabilities if they're highly geared. So there will be some fire sales that are already starting to come through. There have been some administrations, there are going to be a lot more administrations, but it's going to take a good three, four months yet for the commercial market to settle into any sort of place where you might want to be investing. So I won't be I won't be buying anything new for a good few months yet. uh, We need the valuations to feed through, we need to understand what happens when companies start making people redundant, what happens as companies go through administration. Um, So there's a correction that's happening, essentially, across Mm -hmm. the market. But there are lots of opportunities coming up as well. Um, And planning looks like permitted development is going to be increased. There's already quite a lot of permitted development, actually, within commercial that a lot of people aren't aware of. So you can go from a shop to a restaurant or a bar without needing planning permission. You can turn a shop into an office without needing planning permission. There's lots of things that you can already do um, in commercial, but I think a big opportunity will be not requiring full planning permission to convert retail to residential, potentially which could unlock quite a lot of opportunities. Um, But yeah, so the commercial market is doing okay. It usually bounces back faster than residential because it's not reliant on consumer confidence um, and the valuations come through and businesses make decisions pretty quickly. But the difference between now and 2008-9 is that um, liquidity is there, credit lines are there. This is not a problem with the banks. um, and, And that will make a lot of difference in my opinion
0: Okay, so that's interesting. So, so, so people who are um, m- mostly uh, looking to to invest, sort of in residential. They the reason why they might be involved in a commercial building right now would be because they want to convert it into residential. But um, from what you've said, obviously there's still a a demand in certain sectors for commercial staying as commercial. Ooh. Uh, you know, we we again. My my mindset tends to be, how do I convert it into residential. Mm-hmm. Really, what you're saying is, well, hold on a minute, Wendy. There's actually still some opportunities out there for inver- for keeping commercial commercial. I mean, for example, we've got a pub that's fully commercial. We haven't lost any rent over the time that Derek, who's the landlord, has had the pub closed. He's still paying his rent, and uh, I think he's looking forward to opening up. Um, I'm I'm not sure if he is opening up tomorrow, but he's certainly get oh sorry in two days time. Yeah. He's be opening up soon um, so it's interesting what you say because um, that has been extremely steady income for us we you know there's been no drop in income unlike in certain of our HMOs where we've got some tenants who haven't paid the rent and we have seen a dip in income um, and and it's caused a lot of hassle as well yeah. so, you know I, I can see the benefit of renting but I think for a lot of people who are perhaps currently in residential be thinking well hold on a minute i've never done commercial i don't know how to put up a commercial lease i don't know how to find a commercial tenant you know how do i know that that commercial uh enterprise is actually going to be able to sustain and continue during the time that we have covid which could be years frankly couldn't it it could and I i think so a few things to to think about there is that um you know the government
1: support package has been unprecedented and phenomenal um so I've had 100% of our commercial rents in for the entire period of COVID. Nobody's paid late. Nobody's in arrears. All of my tenants have reopened and are going to continue to trade. So it, it's about doing your due diligence right in the first place, but it's also about having good relationships with your tenants. Mm. So because we have a good relationship with our tenants, I got on the phone as soon as it happens. I'm like, okay, guys, Here's all the help, the financial assistance you can access. I'll help you get it. But you need to understand that we're a small landlord. We're a business. We need you to keep paying your rent. We will do everything we can to help you. You just need to keep the lines of communication open. Mm -hmm. Um, And and they all have, and it's all working fine. So we've got things like hairdressers, opticians, takeaways. Um, We have got one kind of gift homeware sort of shop. Um, She actually reopened on the 15th of June and did her best week yet, better than Christmas.
0: Wow, that's great.
1: It's it's not all bad news out there. And I I do want to temper some of the bad news and people thinking, oh, what do I want to do commercial for? But it's like anything else. You just need to learn about it. So for me, what scares me, I don't like doing physical development work. And this is one of the reasons that I like commercial is you can add value just by extending leases, letting vacant space, that kind of thing without any need to touch any physical building work. That doesn't mean you can't mix the two. Um, And what I think works quite well for a lot of people who've only ever done residential is to do mixed use. Um, So it's really good to buy a tenanted commercial investment where you've got cash flow from day one maybe from the ground floor and then you can look at converting the upper parts or extending the rear um, quite often there's often a lot of space at the back um, of retail units or high street offices and so that's the space that people can be looking at Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah I think we're all afraid of what we don't know so it's a matter of just get, getting educated and you can't do commercial without commercial agents. So you will need to build some relationships with agents in your area. Um, and you could just instruct one to act on your behalf. And then you've got the full backing of the RICS um, and their professional status. And you just pay for them to acquire a property for you, give you all the advice you need. Um, you know, that's quite often what I say to people when they're doing it for the first time. Use a professional. Um, you know, don't don't take the risks. Learn from the professional. Do it once, realize, oh, that's how it works. Educate yourself, and then you can go again. And it's good to diversify because none of us should really be all in one sector. Um, which I think a lot of people are starting to learn off the back yeah. of COVID. So I've got some service departments, which obviously whew, that's been difficult
0: for the yeah. last um, <laughs>
1: few months. Uh,
0: but my commercial has everything, so. Yeah. Zone. And I, I would say the same for us, that our commercial has actually been really good. And it's just been one less thing to worry about, actually, having that steady income. So, Kirsty, in terms of your, your sort of outlook for um, commercial um, enterprises who would rent those units, what what do you think is going to be the the opportunity for those small businesses, because because one of the, I think for a lot of people getting into commercial, they're they're not sure who they would rent the unit to. So let's say you buy a mixed use building or you buy a, a, a building that could be used as a mixed use building. You've got a shop on the ground floor. You know, you, you've rented to tenants before, so you know that process, but you've never rented to a shop owner before. How do you do, go about finding uh, somebody who's gonna rent that unit? So you use local commercial surveyors, so they have all the
1: relationships with all the local businesses, and quite often they'll be moving people around, they'll know when they've got leases coming up from elsewhere, they'll know who's expanding, they'll know who's starting businesses. So you go and get a rental valuation from a couple of local commercial surveyors, which they'll do for free, um, pending a formal instruction to let a property for you, Um, and they'll go and find them, but also just put a notice up in, in the window. So I let two of our units at a property in Newark in Nottinghamshire that we've got just by doing exactly that. And I let them within a month of of becoming vacant. Um, So particularly in the market towns and the suburban areas and the smaller, all the business owners know each other. Um, So also, if you've got neighbouring tenants, you should always go in and talk to the neighbouring tenants. How long have they been there? How's trade? They'll often tell you that they know someone who's looking for a unit or, but you use local commercial surveyors as the main way of finding your tenants. They'll charge you 10% of the first year's rent as their fee. Um, So it's in their interest to get the rent as high as possible, because the higher the rent, the higher their fee. Um, And yeah, generally, I I mean, I'm using some agents now in Newark because I just can't do everything myself. Um, It used to be a hairdresser's. The plumbing and everything's still there. We've got those kind of people looking at it. But yeah, generally, if you're looking at retail that's not in a huge city center, Um, that's kind of on the outskirts or in a small market town, you're looking for convenience and service-led retailers, because we'll always need them. So we'll always need hairdressers, opticians, florists, takeaways are a really good one, pharmacies, convenience stores, funeral directors, Um. you know, all of those users. Vets, um, lots of professionals now are taking retail units as officers because it's often cheaper and they're really well-located. and So lots of solicitors, accountants, they're all taking retail units. The charity shops aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Mm. The betting shops are uh, rationalising their portfolios, but they're certainly not all all going. Um, So, you know, there's still a lot of uses, and that's just off the top of my head. And then Mm. you'll have local businesses of all sorts, like the... um, gift and homeware business that I've got in one of my units and the good thing about them is they'll quite often pay a little bit more rent because they realize that they're a riskier tenant so it's a balance you know you can you can balance your risk by taking a bit more rent taking a rent deposit and accepting that not all of these businesses might work but there'll always be another one that's coming along yeah is what I find so yeah
0: I so think. that's interesting, and actually, I, what, what, as you were speaking, Kirsty, I was thinking that uh, they there, in fact, as we go through the next phase of the furlough scheme starting to wind down, yeah. and, and probably we're going to see a lot of redundancies. I think we have, you know, we've seen them already, haven't we? Yesterday, there were hundreds of thousands of redundancies announced by various different firms and different sectors. This actually might be an opportunity for some of those people who've who kind of waited for their redundancy. they mm-hmm. may thought that they were going to be made redundant. They're now getting a redundancy package. And they might be thinking, do you know what? I'm going to set up on my own. I'm going to set up a small shop. I've always wanted to run a haberdashery store. I've always wanted to run a cafe, or I've always wanted to do a dog grooming parlor. And these are the kind of small business owners, small entrepreneurs who, in a recession, very often start their business. Because they have to, you know, don't they say um, necessity is the mother of invention? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You know, I think over the next few months, we're going to see people who are, uh, they need to earn some money. And they're going to be wanting to start up small concessions, small trades in local towns to start to make some turnover and make some income. So, So this is a really great time for us as property investors to be thinking about buying and securing those buildings because we can make some money from them as they start their businesses too yeah definitely and
1: also don't I don't want people to forget about industrial so a lot of people think oh goodness what on earth do I know about industrial and you know it's just boring crinkly tin sheds but I (laughs) industrial is actually quite sexy when you look at the numbers that's what I always (laughs) say um so you know I know nobody really finds crinkly tin sheds very sexy but the numbers are (laughs) so um you know those kind of business there's a lot of businesses that want workshop space or smaller warehouses as well so you know if you want to start small getting into commercial industrial is just as good a place to start as your high street units or your offices and also what's happened is that industrial rents are so much cheaper than office rents that what a lot of businesses will do is they'll take an industrial unit and they'll use some of it for storage and workshop but they'll create a massive office within the industrial unit um, because it's just much much cheaper space um so you have a lot of businesses that are looking for that kind of space as well i think um it's likely uh with what the government are doing with planning um, and permitted development that it's going to be easier and easier to demolish old industrial units um, and either build housing because quite often industrial and residential are quite close together yes yeah. sort of locations um and either build housing or build more fit for purpose industrial, because the industrial that's required today is not the industrial of yesterday. So there was a lot more manufacturing, um, you know, in the last 50 years. Now we're moving much more towards warehousing and logistics, which require a totally different space. And um, for a start, they need really, really high units. Uh, the circulation space needs to be really good. Uh, so, yeah, it's just about... Focusing on something, though, if you want to get into commercial, then kind of decide, I want to have a look at high street retail. I want to have a look at office. I want to have a look at industrial and focus on one thing and build some agent relationships. Um, because most agents focus on a particular sector. Um, but yeah, there are loads of opportunities for mixed use as well. So um, put a bit of what you know with a bit of what you don't know and, and kind of expand your knowledge is, is what I'd recommend doing.
0: That's really good advice, Kirsty. Thank you. Um, okay, so let me just quickly pause you there. I'm just going to um, remind everybody we are live today on the Ultimate HMO Success System, where I have the lovely Kirsty Darkins to my Right, I think you would see her too, right. Uh, and uh, we're talking about commercial property, talking about how we can get into commercial property, how we can use commercial property for HMOs, and what the opportunities are about uh, this, this current situation with unemployment, redundancies, COVID 19. What do we see the outlook for commercial property being? So, Kirsty's got a wealth of experience in the sector, not only has she uh, being a commercial surveyor in her previous professional life, she is now a commercial property investor. So she's got loads and loads of experience. And please do feel free to put any questions to her in the chat panel below. Sure. Um, there is a question, Kirsty, that's cropped up. And I, I don't know if you would, would like to answer this or give your views about this. I've certainly got a view about it. Um, are you worried all on suites will result in more council tax right now? So when it comes to commercial, um, people don't pay council tax, do they? It's, it's business rates. Yeah. Now, can you just, I'll, I'll perhaps come on to the en question in a moment, because uh, that probably may fall a bit more into my field. Yeah. Of expertise. <laughs> <laughs> um, but can you just explain uh, when do people have to pay business rates? Because you don't pay business, not all businesses will pay business rates, will they?
1: No, so there is such a thing as small business rates relief. So um, at the moment, nobody will pay any business rates if they're operating a premises for retail or hospitality um, until April 2021. Um, So there's a rates payment holiday. uh, And that's going to help to relet some of the vacant space because people haven't immediately got the business rates cost. But if um, the rent the rateable value. The rateable value for business rates is effectively the same as the market rent the last time it was valued. That's what it is a measure of. So um, if the rateable value is £12,000 a year or less, which in, maybe not in some of the southern towns, but in most of Midlands and North, in in most small units will be below that, then they can claim small business rates relief, which means they don't have to pay. Um, business rates, and that that's not just retail. That's any business where the rateable value is below £12,000 a year. So small workshop and warehouse units, very small offices, um,
0: they can all be exempt from paying business rates. Okay, so that's that's useful. Again, that's something to help these small trading businesses. Uh, set up and become a bit more sustainable uh, as time goes on. So that's, that's helpful to know. So let me come to the question uh, from our viewer. And unfortunately on Be Live, I can't see who's written the question, but thank you whoever has uh, messaged us with the question to talk about en-suite. So um, I'm, I don't worry. I have to say my mindset is not to worry. I don't believe that worrying is a helpful uh, approach to business. I think you either have to take action and solve problems or you have to measure the risk and make a decision. Now, I think if you were talking about what do I think the risk is that councils will revalue all HMO rooms with en suites, I think you've got to measure the view of your local council, because this very much comes down to your local council and how the local council are viewing en suite rooms. I know in some areas of the country, for example, I think Stevenage and some some areas just north of London, uh, Bedfordshire and I think some Hertfordshire areas, they have rebanded HMO rooms with their own council tax. Now, if we were to break that down, they're all going to be banding A, so they're going to be the lowest possible banding. And because you'll usually have single you know, individuals renting those rooms, you'll you'll be able to get single person relief. So you get 25% off that council tax. But it still might add up to being another £75 a month in terms of council tax that your tenant will have to pay. So... One of the approaches might be that you decide to drop your rent by, say, £30 and then the tenant would pay an extra £45. And that way, the the council tax is being paid. Ultimately, though, the relationship between the tenant and the council becomes more vital here because it's the tenant who will be then responsible for paying the council tax. And, you know, one of the things I've said to our local council is, do you realise that Uh, tenants might not pay that council tax in which case you are then going to be chasing a number of tenants for debt which they might not pay leaving you out of pocket wouldn't it be more strategic to even increase the council tax on a whole HMO so some of our HMOs which have got you know quite a number of people living there might still be on council tax band a As a landlord, I actually would be more amenable to them saying, let's put you on a slightly more expensive banding because then at least we don't band all the rooms individually. So if your local council is talking about it, I would negotiate with them because they will be the ones who will be highlighting your development to the valuation office. And ultimately, it's the valuation office that will make that decision about whether to reband your rooms or not. So I do think it's a consideration. Um, I still think that HMOs will work, though, and I think going forward, we're going to start to see some rents going up because I think property prices are going to start to go up in certain areas. And usually that has a, that has a, a, a sort of inflow effect on rents. And I think as the hospitality industry opens up, a lot of those places that have been used to uh, fill uh, rooms for homeless people, will now be wanting to be used in the hospitality industry and they won't want to have homeless and, you know, rough sleepers in their buildings, you know, because the two types of people don't really mix very well, do they? I mean, would you go on holiday to a nice hotel where you thought that half the rooms are being used for rough sleepers? I think it all depends on your attitude. Personally, I probably would. Would be okay with it. <laughs> um, I, I I used to be involved in a charity that worked with rough sleepers and homeless people, so it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. But I think some people would be very concerned about that. So I think the hospitality industry may well be closing their doors to homeless sleepers, sorry homeless people and rough sleepers. But the government has still got to find somewhere for those people to live. So there's there's a constant pressure on the residential market, and I think that that council strategy and, and policy is going to either going to unlock some of that residential accommodation and help the situation, or it's going to restrict it and make it much worse. So, yeah, I'm sorry I'm giving you a very long answer here, but I think long term, strategically, it's not going to work to ban separate ensuite suite rooms. It's not going to work. But we may we may have to face that some of our HMOs may get rebranded um, because that is the current policy to try and raise extra tax. But long term, I don't think it will work, is my personal view. Um, but I but I think that, you, as I say, I think that if you step out of being that person who's then paying the tax, uh, so ordinarily the, the landlord would pay the council tax, but if you're not going to be paying that council tax anymore, then it makes it uh, much harder for the council to collect that council tax because they now have to go after the individual tenant. So we shall see whether it does have too big an impact or not. (laughs) There's my long-winded answer to the council tax question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we've got another question, which is, how do you find the commercial units that could be converted into um, a HMO? Well, ultimately, you use local commercial surveyors. You'll find that in commercial, when I first start... um, helping people understand commercial they must think that i'm a stuck record because nearly every answer to every question is local commercial surveyors but that's because around 50 percent of all commercial property never comes to market because we as surveyors are really quite lazy I mean, we always <laughs> take the I easiest really <laughs> route to our fees like we don't like hard work so um you know we spend a lot of time creating a network of investors which means that rather than having to go through all the trouble of creating marketing brochures and advertising and doing lots of viewings, and all all we do is pick up the phone to two or three people, and one of them usually buys it. So you need to be one of those people, because otherwise you're not going to have access to about 50% of the commercial market for a start. So that's something to understand. Um, Look for the properties that have got commercial on the ground floor, but have got Upper parts, they might have one, two, sometimes even three floors that nobody's using that have separate access because they make really good spaces for HMOs, particularly um, what I look for. You see, I'm all about commercial, so I don't like hard work. Um, So I like my life to be really easy. So for instance, I've got a property um, in Newark where all my ground floor is commercial it's listed, it needs a lot of work upstairs, but if we redevelop it, what I don't want um, is to have to run a HMO myself. So I've got um, seven big rooms across the first and second floor, plus rooms for bathrooms and communal spaces um, that could work really well for a social housing provider, for example. So I am looking to partner with a council, a social housing provider, a housing association, a charity, and I'm gonna give them a five or, or year or longer lease And they are just going to pay me as a commercial tenant and they will run it as a HMO. Um, That's very, um, you know, for me, that's a great way to add value to commercial property as well. So the value in commercial property is all about the security of the income stream and nothing to do with bricks and mortar. So it's who is the tenant and mostly um, all of the people I just mentioned are really good tenants. Um, in terms of the strength of their business and how long is the lease so the longer your lease and the better your tenants the higher the value um, of your property if it's vacant it's virtually worthless and that's how it works so for me I want to get people in there on a commercial lease so even though I'm a bit allergic to physical building work which is when I do have to do it I joint venture with a builder that's how I do it Um, (laughs) I have a a great partner in that Um, but that's what I look for so I look for know shops and uppers um or you could look at office buildings but what i would say is that most people's approach naturally is i need to convert the whole thing into a hmo but i would always say do you why is the ground floor not viable as commercial if it's always been commercial why wouldn't you diversify your investment and get yourself some cash flow really quickly from the ground floor and then just redevelop the uppers or extend that outwards at the rear. Um, there's often a lot of space um, at the rear to extend. So I'll be looking at all the retail premises um, and quite a lot of office premises that are still viable as commercial on the ground floor, but they've got really dilapidated upper parts or nobody's using
0: them. Um, that's that's what you want to look for. That is really helpful. Thank you, Kirsty. Um, and I I love your point about working with uh perhaps social housing providers or the local council, uh, because I think we're gonna see that pressure on them to find accommodation that they can utilize and where they can partner with local landlords. And very often we've got HMOs with the odd room available here or there, But there's no way that that that, that would be suitable for their kind of tenants. You don't want to mix tenant types. Mm -hmm. We're looking to fill our our rooms, obviously, with professional working tenants. That's our our kind of bread and butter. Um, But obviously, if you've got a property where... You've got some, as you say, upper parts which are available. They don't need to be necessarily refurbished to a massively high standard. Um, and, and quite often the council may have some funding they can use anyway to actually add value to it. You know, it's your building, but they need to make it right for their tenant type. And doing that kind of a, um, you know, a, a lease with the local council where it gives you five years, you know, there it's a win, win, win for them, it's a win for the tenants, and it's a win for you, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot happening. So um, one of my other business partners has a big service accommodation portfolio. And last week, he got a phone call um, from the local authority who were trying to house um, newly released um, prisoners, essentially. So uh, they're they're on probation as they come out. Um, This is a new initiative that they've been talking about doing for ages, but COVID has kind of made it happen because they needed to release the pressure on prisons. So they've released people that that were perhaps coming up to their release date um, or are ready to reenter society. But what they need is kind of, uh, is accommodation for the short to medium term to rehabilitate these people. And then at the moment they're paying ridiculous rates to take over whole houses that were used for service accommodation. And I mean, they are paying four or five times the market rate per night yeah no. yeah, so um he said, so the conversation went, Oh, um that's a bit low per night, and she said that's per person per night and then he and then he nearly fell off his chair, and <laughs> you know so th- these contracts are all starting to come out, so i I would say that um you know the the care, social housing, homeless. Uh, what they're trying to do with um, people on probation having been released from prison. There's so much happening in that space at the moment. Uh, And they want um, town centre locations because they need to be close to amenity. They need to be close to public transport, close to shops in an urban area.
0: Um, So with that tenant type, uh, actually you want to try and probably create an environment where they're not necessarily near lots of other residential yes occupiers don't you because there is a risk uh you know particularly with ex-offenders you know that, that that's not always a popular tenant type to house so councils are, are very often finding that it's difficult for them to utilize residential accommodation yeah. because of all the other social issues that, that can crop up so, so this is a really good opportunity isn't it for people to start yeah. to find out uh, and make contact with their social local social housing providers, which you can find through the council. You know, the council have it, very often the council are the ones who have commissioned those services. Yes. And it's those social housing housing providers who are now going, yikes, how are we going to meet the need? How are we going to meet demand? We're paid to do this, but yes. we've got this shortage of accommodation. Well, as soon as we, um,
1: we contacted them um, about a month ago in Newark, because we were ready to start looking at redeveloping our upper parts, um, and they've, they've just received some town centre funding. Um, so the council have just received some town centre fl- funding for just this sort of thing, and they're starting to look at it with us. And um, so, you know, the councils have got funding for looking at town centre properties, upper parts, they'd make great HMOs, you've got cash flowing commercial on the ground floor, a really nice diversified investment, and you can either choose to run that HMO yourself, or you can grant a lease to another operator to run it and just go on holiday. Or, yeah,
0: like I, else, I like, <laughs> yeah, that's it. A, a bit like a sort of rent to rent really in a way, isn't it? They they're doing the rent to rent for your for your business. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kirstie, let's go to some of the questions. We've got some really nice questions coming through. So please do feel free to put your questions in the chat panel today for myself and Kirstie. Uh, so Kirsty Darkins, commercial specialist, is here today to answer your questions. For, for those of us in HMOs, you might have a small portfolio or a large portfolio, um, and you maybe haven't thought about, you haven't considered, okay, what could I be doing over the next year? One of the types of property that you should not be ignoring is commercial. Hence why Kirsty is on the group today, to enlighten us about the opportunities and to help us to recognise that residential is just but one of the types of property that you can use to convert into HMOs. And by ignoring commercial, we ignore it at our peril, because as you're revealing to us, Kirsty, there's lots of opportunities out there. Uh, So let's go to the the chat panel. So... um, Facebook user, and I'm sorry, on our chat panel, we can't see who you are. Mm-hmm. If you put your name before the comment, that would really help us to know who it is. Somebody said, hey, girls. <laughs> I've been called, called a girl for a long time. No, me never. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever you are, we love you. Um, <laughs> um, so, so Facebook user, whoever you are, says, my understanding of the end valuation is basically the gross rental income times the yield how do you know the yield in the area uh, is it best to speak to a few different commercial agents and that's partha thanks Partha, for the question so good so how do you value commercial property Curse? yeah that
1: is that is how you value it so um it, it it is the gross rent capitalized by a market yield but when we're talking about yield it's not the same thing as the return on your capital invested So when I talk to people about commercial, I have to start to explain that there are two yields, which gets confusing. So I call it return. So yield, as you know it in residential, I call return. So that's the return on the capital that you've invested in a property. The yield that we're talking about in order to work out the current value of a commercial property is the investment yield or the market yield, which is essentially a risk profile. So it basically says, how long's the lease? Who's the tenant? where is the property? What else is true of that property? What state of repair is it in, et cetera, et cetera. And it builds a risk profile that then helps the surveyor decide what investment yield to use. So yes, you would ask local commercial surveyors what the current market yield is. As you get into commercial and you focus on specific sectors, you'll become aware of what the broad bands of yields are. So for High street retail, for example, um, not in your big city centers, but just your smaller towns and your suburban parades. If you've got a reasonable tenant in there with at least three years or more left on their lease, um, and you know it's a good location, there's not lots of vacancy in that location, you'll be somewhere between seven and a half and 9% as an investment yield. So you would take the rent, say the rent's 20,000 pounds a year, and then you would times it by the yield to get your value. Um, And what's often confusing is that the lower the yield, the higher the value, because it's a multiplier. So if you think that um, if you were using a yield of 10%, then the multiplier is 10. But if you were using a yield of 5%, the multiplier is 20, because it's one divided by the number. So one divided by 10 is 10 one divided by <coughs> five is 20 um so actually it's like inverse how to work out commercial value. so when if somebody says oh but the yield the yield is is five percent you're like excellent because that makes the value really high not if you're buying it it's not excellent it's excellent if you're uh, adding value or you're selling it um, so that's that's roughly how commercial valuation Works.
0: And in so sometimes when I look at um, properties that are up for sale, commercial properties that are up for sale, particularly when they come for auction, actually, I I'll scour the auction catalogue to see if there's anything that I'm interested in. And they will often talk about yield. Do they use that commercial yield figure or is it the rental yield they're quoting? Because sometimes I'm not too sure about that, Kirsty.
1: Well, if it's for sale, they should be using the commercial yield. But basically, what they will have done. Um, is taken divided
0: the rent into the purchase price, which will give you that yield. Uh, yes, yes, because, because yeah. you already know what the uh, what the income is for that building when it's being sold, don't you?
1: Yeah. So they'll just divide the rent into the purchase price, and that gives them the yield. And you can sit there and have a laugh because most of us, when <laughs> we put it on the market, are joking. Um, but occasionally, somebody pays it. Um, so yeah, you need, to, you need to know
0: what you're doing. Um, I think that's a really good point. So in other words, what you're saying is there's a lot of commercial property that has been up for a long time that has been ridiculously high priced. And yeah. are, you still see, are you still seeing that now? Um, yes. And
1: also what I would say is that uh, I don't know if anybody else has been watching the auctions recently, but I, I don't know who the people are who are buying in auctions, but their calculators are broken. I, 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 they've clearly just got far too much money I need to put it somewhere I, I, that, that's, that's all i can discern at the moment i just i can't so i watched somebody uh, the other day buy a half built mixed-use retail and um two flats on the upper floors it, it, it's literally not even a full shell of a building and um, someone's gone bankrupt I, I know what it was worth i know what it's going to cost to finish it and i know what the end value will be there there is zero profit remaining in what they've bought it for. And I, I just, I don't I don't know what they're doing in the auctions at the moment. I don't know who the people are who are buying in the auctions. It, it, it's, it's a little bit crazy. But um, yeah, there, there is some commercial on the market that's been overpriced, but I think nobody's willing yet. We haven't reached the point that the sellers are willing to accept that values have gone down. Um, so it's going to take another two, three months before we really start getting to the point where sellers are, Willing to take a bit of a view mm. um, as to values of of commercial.
0: Yeah, I, I, well, and I and I think that maybe there's going to be some people who are going to constantly feel that their property should be worth a certain level, and so therefore they're not prepared to to lower the price. Um, I I was on an auction the other day, and I this the property I was looking at sold for thirty thousand pounds more than I would have paid for it. Uh, there is no headroom in there. By the time you've done refurbishment you you know you will be absolutely out of pocket so i think you're right there's a lot of money sloshing around looking for a home and that's why it's a good time now to be working with investors because many people have got money in the bank they're getting no percentage return whatsoever um they're happy to lend it to somebody else who can even give them three to five percent which a few years ago you would have been laughed at if you'd offered an investor five percent they would have said well that's not a very compelling offer but now you can offer them three percent they're like yeah bite your hand off how much money can you can you take from me how much money can I lend you so it's a very very interesting time economically as well um now I've got some more questions Kirsty if if that's okay so yeah so on the I can see it's Krishnan who asked um how do you find the commercial units that could be converted into an HMO so your top tips on finding the right commercial units Well, just be willing to put a bit of work in and build relationships
1: with commercial agents that that's the top thing to do is build relationships with commercial agents in the area that you want to invest in, let them know who you are, speak to them every week, every couple of weeks to start with, tell them exactly, be very specific about your criteria um, and prove that you're credible. And over time, they will start picking up the phone to you with off-market opportunities. So that's that's the number one way of finding. Um, Ordinarily, I would have said, auctions can be quite a good place to find commercial, but at the moment, auctions aren't a good place to buy anything. Um, auctions are a good place to sell property at the moment so I I would leave auctions for now Um, but when you are looking at auctions you're looking at properties that are in the wrong auction so quite often there are commercial properties sat in residential auctions or in auctions that are mainly residential so you won't have a lot of competition you're looking for properties that are in an auction in the wrong area so they're out of area Um, so use um, EIG um auction tool um which covers national auctions to kind of find those properties so you can have a look in auction Um, also you just need to be observant and be willing to put deals together so a couple of things i'm doing at the moment is as you drive around you'll quite often notice lots of properties that are boarded up so lots of shops that are boarded up and there will quite often be a whole little terrace that's boarded up. Or So what I do is I start being a detective. So I go on land registry and I download the title of registers and I work out who owns things. And quite often the same person owns the whole thing. Or sometimes the council owns it. That's a nice, easy conversation. Mm. So at the moment, I'm looking at one where the council owns one and then the next three are all owned by the same person. Now I'm talking to the local commercial agents saying, Do you know this investor? Who is he? How long has he been boarded up? and I'm going to create an off-market opportunity for myself.
0: So very good. I love it, Kirsty. Yes.
1: <laughs> you know, be proactive is, is, yeah. is what I'm saying. Essentially, you know, don't look, don't wait for things to come to market. You want the off-market opportunities, which you're going to get from agents. And you're going to get by actually just being really observant and driving around the area that you invest in. And it always amazes me how much of the time we walk around with our eyes closed. So I drove around an area the other day that I swear I've driven through 50 times. And i noticed things that I've never seen before. I don't know how I haven't seen them. And I was kind of, who is it? Right, where are we as we're driving? I'm like, what is this street? What? And then you just get on street view. Then you work out the... Address, then you go on land registry, then you find out who owns it, and then you can go from there. Um, So I would say, try to be quite proactive as well about putting deals together that aren't actually on the market. Because I'm selling an office at the moment, just because an agent came to me and said, would you sell it? I've got someone that's interested. We weren't selling it, but we'll sell it at the right price. So now we're selling it. Mm. And that's my point. It's like, if the agents don't know that you're there... Looking for property, then they can't come to you and offer you off-market opportunities. So you need to you need to go and build your relationships with commercial agents.
0: And I, I love that idea about putting together your own deal because there are lots of properties which are in very sad states of disrepair, aren't they? They're, they've been neglected for whatever reason. They've just been left to rack and ruin, and they're they're a bit of a blight on the on the landscape. They're a blight on the high street, aren't they? And I, I just think, isn't it wonderful to think that we could, using our business knowledge, our contacts, our networks, networks of investors, find properties that we can bring back to life, offer valuable accommodation to people. You know, wouldn't it be fantastic to think that you can create a property where you do have ex-offenders living there, or you've got people who are vulnerable, or you've got people who would be homeless. You know, it'd be fantastic to be able to create that kind of project because you are not just doing it for money, yes, you are making money, it's a business, it needs to make money, but actually you're doing it for the good of society as well. And for me, that's where property is such a powerful tool, it's such a powerful asset, because ideally we use it to help other people, not just to help ourselves.
1: Yeah, it's easy to create a win-win. I mean, it's why I became a surveyor in the first place, um, was for the opportunity to be involved in urban regeneration and just influence the places that we all live and we work and we play. Um, and, you know, I think it, it it's a great opportunity, but there, there really are a lot of dilapidated, boarded up properties mm. that, you know, you walk past and you think, oh, how am I gonna find out who owns it? And what is it? Well, you're gonna have to put some work in. That's what you're gonna have to do. I'm oh, a detective. Yeah, but you know, if you you do that, and yes, some of this is a slow burn and it builds the pipeline, but it's amazing what comes through once you start looking at those opportunities Um, and you often meet. So I um, also always follow up with the people that you buy property from. So I bought a property for a client um, earlier this year, a deal that took me almost a year put together so again you need to have patience okay so these units came on the market in january 2019 i didn't make an offer until july 2019 when they'd already been through quite a bit of pain and the price had come down so they went on the market at 985,000 for two retail units um i eventually agreed 600. wow um drop yeah. And they are they are worth eight, seven, five. Um, so I eventually agreed 600. Um, it was a joint venture that had gone wrong. They desperately needed to just get themselves out of their joint venture and dissolve their partnership. Uh, so cash offer, We you know, we bought it. Now, the same one of the joint venture partners has got a big commercial property portfolio. And what he does is he buys commercial property portfolios and breaks them up. And now he has become one of my best sources of off-market deals. So, you, you know, it's just, you, you have to get into it and start making yourself known, build your network, but, but always be really inquisitive about people. So I was saying to him while we were doing this deal, oh, we'll get there. What else are you doing? You know, what, what else do you do? Who, who are you kind of thing? Um, and then he was like, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Why? why what else are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm doing this and, and, and we've worked out that we could help each other because he invests in the south so he tends to buy portfolios and break them up he wants to hold the southern investments but he wants to sell the northern investments which is perfect for me
0: yes fantastic but, you know so it's all about building relationships and looking for deals and, and finding where you could even you know bring a deal to a commercial surveyor who could then potentially speak to the owner uh, do the negotiations about getting yeah. that property to be sold um, and presumably they can they can kind of use their sales pitch and their experience to be able to persuade that person to consider sale selling it particularly because you're then a you're you're a buyer at the other end so they're not going to have to go through months of waiting or you know concern that they're not going to sell the property so I, I, that's a great idea Kirsty. i love that one
1: well that's what's happened with the, the people who are buying our office was just a private investor who wants to occupy the space for his own businesses and just went to an agent and said uh, do you know who owns these offices does anybody want to sell um and we were kind of well it's it's half vacant um at our office and he's willing to take the half that's vacant and then i guess as the other tenant moves out at some point he'll have the other half um but yeah and we were kind of we've done no work all yeah. i've done is answer the phone to an agent and go oh well uh yes but it have to be at this price um yeah you know, he made us an offer, we rejected it, he made us another one, which was what we wanted, we accepted it, and I instructed solicitors yesterday. I, I've literally had two phone conversations and sent an
0: email, but that's all I've had to do. Yeah, <laughs> to work with their fees. Um, yeah, yeah that's know.
1: great.
0: So, um, quite, this is another question from Partha. So, Partha's looking at a property which has a reputable chicken shop I always like reputable chicken shops, Um, (laughs) probably deep fried chicken or something like that. With 10 years lease on the ground floor and a six bed HMO on the second and third floor, how difficult is it to obtain a mortgage on a property like this with a fast food joint on the ground floor? Do the lenders class that as high risk? And what kind of rates can you get on commercial mortgages for a property like this? And which lenders? So there's a number of questions there from Partha. So for that particular, um, sometimes it
1: it can be difficult. If if it was just uh, one and two bed residential apartments above a takeaway, it does have an impact on the ability um, for people to obtain mortgages and they are restricted to one or two lenders. Um, Because it's a six bed HMO, however, that's actually classed as commercial um, by lenders. So And then actually anything with any commercial element to it, the entire building will be classed as commercial property. So it's mixed use, but it, it's valued on a commercial basis. So you will have to get commercial lending for that anyway, because you've got the chicken shop on the on the ground floor. And because it's a HMO, which is kind of a semi-commercial use, it's not residential apartments, it doesn't have the same impact um, as if it was just residential apartments that you wanted a mortgage for. So if you want a mortgage for the whole lot, now generally commercial mortgages are uh, more expensive than residential, and it, it depends wholly on who you are so what's your experience in commercial do you already hold any commercial property what's your previous investing experience so if you've got no experience in commercial you're going to be up at five six percent when you first start taking commercial finance and then as you become more credible and you build a relationship with a lender um, you can get closer to four and a half sometimes four percent Um, you know there are a few people who are very seasoned commercial investors who have got portfolios who will tell you that they can get three percent three and a half percent well yes they can and you could too in about 10 years time but if you haven't started yet that's not what you'll get um so i for instance even with all my professional experience i'm i'm around five five and a half percent um in in building my own portfolio that's that's just where it sits. And then in terms of lenders, um, it's not like residential, where your broker can essentially do a compare the put the details in, and lots of lots of lenders come up. They have to go to each lender individually. So your broke, you will need to use a commercial broker. They will know, depending on the type of asset, which lenders are likely to lend on it. And they will generally approach two or three. Um, lenders for you. So you've got the more specialist. Le- so high street banks are really not where to go initially for your commercial lending. You want the more specialist lenders. So you want people like Shawbrook, Aldermore, Lendwell have come up in the last year. That's been set up by the f- some former directors of Shawbrook Bank. Um, yeah, so you want you want some of the the smaller Lenders um, Mm -hmm. because they're a bit more agile. And in commercial, it's all about it's actually human relationship. It's not just computer says no. Um, They they really will look at everything on its own merits. Um and it and it is a person who makes the decision.
0: that that has its pros and its cons, doesn't it, Kirsty? Sure, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it means things take an inordinate amount of time to be done because you've got somebody who's yeah. overworked on the other end of the phone and is ticking the, all the boxes and if they don't feel that one of the boxes is ticked to their satisfaction, you, you can go round and round and round in circles getting it over the line and we've had that recently. Uh and it turns out it was there issue and now the gates have, floodgates have been opened and they desperately want to lend us the money <laughs> um, um yeah. but 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 uh, and at other times uh you know that can be a good thing because of course you well your broker is there to present the deal to the lender in the best, best possible light so the fact that you have got it a, a, you know person on the other end of the phone who's going to be assessing that deal it means that you know they are they're open to being I suppose influence, that this is a really good deal and if the broker's any good, that's what they should be doing with the lender. not I don't mean influence in a way that is underhand Mm. or sneaky, but just to kind of present, because, you know, with the best will in the world, somebody in an office in Manchester doesn't necessarily know that, you know, there's a fantastic uh, sort of three-story building in the centre of Newark, Um, and that it's going to have an HMO and a shop underneath it. And you might never even be to Newark. You know, where is Newark? (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, once you've got a portfolio as well,
1: so, you know, when you get to kind of five or more properties, um, portfolio lending is a good thing to do. Um, And you can get some much better rates um, if you put your portfolio with one lender um, and kind of build a relationship that way
0: as well. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, listen, Kirsty, let me just check that there are no other questions or thoughts in the chat panel. I don't think there are at the moment, but obviously this recording will be live on the group. So uh, if anybody does have questions following, watching this amazing interview with Kirsty about commercial, how should people get in touch with you? What's the best so, way- um, You can use my email, which is really
1: easy because it's Kirsty with a Y, at kirstydarkins.co.uk so it's my name essentially um or you can look on my website which is also my name so www.kirstydarkins.co.uk and there's a bit more information on there what i will say if you don't mind wendy is that i've got someone who'd be perfect for your audience to listen to joining us uh, next week at my network meeting. So Jonathan Burliand is a multi-multi-millionaire property investor, and he's also in e-commerce, but his whole strategy is shops on the ground floor, HMOs on the uppers, that's what he develops. He's got over 500 of them in London and the Southeast. He's been doing it for years. Huge, huge mine of information, extremely humble, based on the amount of success that he's had. So if you're interested, in learning a bit more about and talking to someone who's doing mixed use and making it work um, next wednesday 8th of july at seven o'clock it's birmingham ppn so have a look at progressive property network birmingham jonathan will be with us he'll be there telling you how he's done what he's done and uh, taking loads of questions as well so that could be quite useful um, if you want to catch him he he doesn't come out of london generally um, it's only because we're online that I've managed to get him <laughs> to come, come and join us.
0: So hopefully that'll help as well. Fantastic. So that's next Wednesday, Wednesday the 8th, July, 8 p.m. Seven and o'clock where I'm here. Seven o'clock, is it? Sorry. Yeah. Um, so if you uh, just Google that, you'll be able to find the details. And uh, how do people book tickets, Kirsty?
1: Um, so there's a link on the website. Um, or if you find me on Facebook, um,
0: you'll find it on my Facebook pages as well. Great. Brilliant. It's always good to hear stories of people who are further ahead so they can inspire and help and, uh, you know, uh, be there uh, when we need them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Great. Well, listen, Kirstie, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really, really valuable as always. (laughs) No, you're very, very welcome. And thank you for contributing to the HMO community. And, you know, if, if you've got time at some point, we'd love to see some of your deals, just post them into the group. Uh, Or if you you see things that come up where you think this could be converted into an HMO and what you would do with it, case studies like that are always brilliant for us to see. So, uh, you know, we'd love to we'd love your your uh, expertise and input. Okay, I will. (laughs) Thanks ever so much indeed, Kirsty. We shall speak to you very, very soon indeed. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the HMO Success Podcast.